Hey, this is Cultivating Wellness Media. I'm your host, Lara Ashley, and I'm obsessed with all things business, marketing, and wellness. I'm a habitually leap of faith kind of girl, leaning in and saying yes wherever feasible. This has led me on an incredible journey, both personally throughout the world and professionally, from acting to the always evolving digital advertising world. Throughout our time together on this podcast, I'll bring you insights from leaders in the advertising, data science, and wellness industries to transform your brand presence and most importantly, your business returns. Think of this as your insight into the leap of faiths of others to propel your next adventure. So get ready to be challenged and take action. This is Cultivating Wellness Media. Hey, Trailblazers. Welcome back to another episode of Cultivating Wellness Media. I am stoked to introduce you to a visionary of content creation. I had the honor of working with my guest today years ago in Chicago for the Nike Fuel Band launch and activation. We did a North Side versus South Side Twitter activation campaign with the Cubs and White Sox to really nail the energy of competition and gamification of health that the Nike Fuel Band could bring to Chicago. We have both jet set across the country and the globe, so I haven't had tons of time to catch up. Since we last met, he's become an Emmy-nominated director of commercials, TV, and viral content. He is the founder of Underscore Films, which is a production company developing advertising and content for the world's premier brands, celebrities, and networks. He is directed for Nike, Bud Light, Intel, McDonald's, just to name a few brands. He's been featured in the Huffington Post, MTV, NBC, Fox, Spin, Vice, and Rolling Stones. In 2015, he directed and starred in Millennial's Guide to Making It, an original digital series for HBO's Project Greenlight, founded by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. His documentary, Everyday Heroes, which was filmed during the 2020 COVID uh, pandemic, won award for of prestige at the Las Vegas Movie Awards and Best Documentary Short at the Long Beach International Film Festival. He's also won Best Experimental Film at the Los Angeles International Film Festival. While he continues to run and direct his company, Underscore Films, he has taken on the role as executive creative director on the agency side. Without further ado, I'm excited to introduce to you all the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Manifestation in the Cultivating Creativity, Rick Wayne. Hi, Rick. How are you today? Uh, I'm wonderful. That's, that was quite the introduction. Um, I'm realizing I need to update my bio before starting a podcast. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Always a good tip to keep that bio up to date. Absolutely. Uh, it's so great to see you. We've been through, I think, a lot of iterations and journeys together, so it's nice to finally sit face-to-face and have a conversation. Yeah, so today I wanted to kind of dive into what's exciting you most about emerging media's innovation and the creative landscape and kind of get a little insight from your side of the of the angle because I'm more on the sales uh, account director and strategy over the years and you have definitely been 
behind the camera, producing. Now, with that said, that has been your foot forward, but I know you and you have always been a huge proponent in the overall composition, feel, and campaign strategy going into it has always been a strong suit of yours, which is what I think makes your ability to really capture the essence of a brand behind the camera so successfully. Um, so tell me a little bit about what what excites you, you know, what's been going on in your world, and then we'll just kind of continue a candid, introspective conversation on it. Yeah, so, you know, like you said, I've gotten back to the front side of directing. I'm so used to being handed an idea or concept and told, how do we bring this to life on the screen? And now working on the front end side with the agency, with the brand, developing strategies, concepts, intentions behind those things, I get a lot more of a, a through line to the messages we want to speak on the back end. And it's really exciting to see that full 360 view of an idea from inception to seeing it on the screen, seeing it on streaming. And so I'm really excited at just all of the emerging tech right now, all the social media platforms, so many new things, so many new devices. For me, it's always important to stay on top of tech, media, what's happening, what's next, um, and follow the wave and try to ride it. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about what you're doing over at Live Lab right now and how you've been able to really use your talents to expand upon some of the brands you're working with. So at Live Lab, we are a boutique advertising agency. Obviously, you're familiar with our work in the past on Nike. What we're doing is developing strategies for these brands. Uh, for example, right now we're working on Sharpie, uh, is their year of creativity going into next year. And so developing what is their brand language? What are they talking about? What do they look like? How do they show up in the market? Advertising, social media, what's their language? And then developing all those into creative concepts, you know, live activations, seeing it 360 through, you know, the consumer's eyes. The, it's Sharpie such a history brand and getting a chance to redevelop the way that they're getting to interact with their consumers is is just very exciting. So uh, that's one of, I'd say, about 15 to 20 brands we're currently redeveloping their strategies for, um, looking into next year and producing content across all platforms for. I love that. And I love specifically that, that you brought up Sharpie because I do think it's a brand that uh, over the years has really expanded its product line. I mean, it went beyond just the black Sharpie, which is what most of us identified with for the longest time of what Sharpie meant and was. And they've expanded, I mean, years ago, but expanded into color. And um, it's funny, when I think of Sharpie, it's it's like one of those first things as, as a mom raising two young girls that we don't allow our kids to have. And we're like very like, no, because it's going to destroy everything. And so, of course, it's that first point of young children really trying to push that boundary and really, really, really wanting a Sharpie. And I don't know why, but my six-year-old daughter, she, we have all the markers under the world. We have every type of marker, every depth of fine point to fat marker, and all she wants are the colorful Sharpies. And she, like, begs us to get to have the Sharpies and talks about how they let her have Sharpies at camp and how XYZ friend has Sharpies. And it's it's really funny to see that 
exploration into that. So there's definitely a whole other consumer probably that historically wasn't someone that Sherpies spoke to, but I'm really stoked to see how you guys kind of activate the brand and refresh the brand as it moves forward into 2024. And could you speak to like, are you guys doing social, from a social media perspective, are you doing mostly original content or are you guys creating paid media as well? Uh, so it's both, and it's a lot of a lot of social media content uh, showing up a lot on OTT. Uh, so yeah. happy to hear that you're focused on that. Um, trying to see where the consumers are showing up and create content specifically targeted to those platforms, and try to make cool stuff. You know, I think Sharpie's a like a a resilient um, kind of rebellious brand, and so it's like being able to make content that's not just straight advertising, but like something cool. Yeah, you know, and you touched on OTT there. I think what I love about OTT or um, as I kind of generalize in talking to the uh, listeners is streaming TV because it's OTT and uh, connected TV kind of both encompass that streaming. And I love that you can really target and do precision targeting of who is seeing those ads. And what I love about it is it – it's almost like you can help a consumer curate what ads they're seeing um, that emphasize and build on their life, just like we all curate our Instagram feeds or our threads uh, as that launched last week, our Reddit, our Substacks, our YouTube, whatever it may be. Even our streaming TV, we're, we're curating what it is we see. And, and advertising, advertising has really gotten to this place where – it's no longer what the advertiser is pushing out to all of us as a general public. You can really place in the hands of the people that are interested in the Sharpie brand uh, that information for them. Well, and that's something that, you know, my business partner, our former boss and CEO always says is uh, stop interrupting what people are watching, be what they choose to want to watch. And so I think putting that power back in people's hands, showing up where they're already watching entertainment feeding them content that is relatable is got to be the next iteration of this because it's tough, but nobody really wants to watch advertising anymore. So it's shifted across, you know, social media, YouTubers, uh, different forms of advertising. And so I think being able to tailor and say, I like this message, I'm open to seeing more of this, teach me more, is going to be really powerful moving forward. I absolutely agree. And and you're right. Um, you're Barry Krause has definitely been uh, trailblazing, what, 12, 15 years ago in making sure that the advertising information was really kind of integrated into our the consumer's lifestyle and, and presented in a way that didn't feel disruptive, didn't even feel influencing. Um, I really like to think of the advertising moving away from kind of interrupting, even moving away from influencing and moving into inspiring. And I think um, that's something that you're you're really perfectly positioned to do. Um, whenever I've watched any of the content that you've created over the years, first of all, it brings so much joy to my heart, but you really know how to capture the emotion. And you've always really been amazing at working with people to bring out the best sides of them and showcase that to the world. And for the viewer, it's 
so impactful. And for brands like Sharpie, um, the the 15 or so other brands that you're working with and the brands that you've worked with with Underscore Films, they've had the privilege and honor to kind of get to have them be presented in a light that really captures and makes people stop and want to absorb what it is. Um, tell me a little bit more about how you kind of are able to do that because in this day and age, we all know, and I know you know for sure, that you have like a second, maybe seven seconds to grab people's attention and get them to stop. And how do you how do you create that sense of mood and emotion so quickly? Uh, I think that's one of the biggest struggles I'm running up against is they're running through our content through a lot of testing, right? And what they're seeing is six second ads are performing the best. And we're not necessarily testing against what's resonating, what's stories, what emotions are really drawing people in. And so I found this interesting piece of the market for myself directing where it's elevated documentary and it becomes less about what story I'm trying to tell and more about interviewing people who have lived certain lives, have seen or done certain things. Maybe it's a celebrity drawing something out of them that's really emotional, impactful. Uh, you know, the last Sharpie ad we did was with the co-founder of Reddit. He almost never speaks about Reddit. You know, the, that he speaks very little about the actual product. He speaks about his experience with his daughter in trying to provide a better future. And I think if you can draw people in, allure them into the story, and still interweave the messages that you want to get across, because at some point somebody has to front that bill, I think people are more inclined to stick around, really lean in and listen, um, rather than try to shout your messages in six seconds. Wow, I just got chills. Honestly, you are able to capture that through other people, but it's just, it feels like it's part of you. Like, I just got chills listening to you describe your process and working with other people. And, you know, how much time do you think it takes in that lead up to discussion pre-filming to really learn about, like, what's your process to learn about either the brand or the person that you're working with, whether it's behind the camera or as um, the executive creative director, to find those stories and find those nuggets that are really going to resonate with the the viewer or the consumer or the, the lifetime client and customer of a brand? I think particularly when it comes to interviewing and dissecting and learning about people, I learned a lot from Sean Evans on Hot Ones of all places, right? The YouTube series where they eat hot chicken wings. But what I found was that he's done such an incredible job at finding celebrities who've been interviewed thousands of times and finding poignant, interesting questions that really get them thinking and thought-provoking. And so I think it's, it's really doing a deep dive and understanding just like we would our consumer at the end of an ad. Who is this person? What's important to them? What can get them thinking in an interesting way? Um, sometimes throwing something on a teleprompter that is totally unexpected, that just breaks the mood, makes them laugh, changes up the tone, pull a lot from Second City. Uh, and, you know, just being fluid, understanding that it's a dialogue, that you're not just talking to one person, they're not just talking to you, but you're trying to get that magic to happen. Yeah. Speaking of, who are you? What makes you tick? <laughs> what makes yeah, me tick? Yeah, like what What drives you? Like what really 
gets you up every morning and gets you excited, Rick, like as a person, because I know you are a always going type of person. Your mind is always thinking. You're you're thinking of what's the next thing. You're always improving in wellness and optimization of your health and really um, trying to be the best version of yourself. So what what is that thing that, that makes Rick tick? I mean, at the end of the day, it all leads to, I just want somebody to look at my macaroni painting and say, I like it. Good job. <laughs> uh, Isn't that uh, what we all want? <laughs> that's it. Um, but I, I think, yeah, health. I had a three-hour workout before this. Gratitude. Um, taking care of myself. Um, adventure, I think, is a big one. I've spent the last year and a half now living on the East Coast after seven years living in L.A. As you know, traveling, seeing different places, trying on a different lifestyle, I think all of these things just lead to a more well-rounded person. And so I get a lot of excitement in the unex- uh, the unexpected. Oh, I love that. Uh, honestly, unexpected is my um, favorite thing. I tried to stray away from it for the last seven or eight years, and it wouldn't stay away. It just kept coming up. Every time I turned around, may have something to do with the fact I married someone that travels globally um, and is constantly going overseas at the drop of a hat. He was just gone for four months in China. And so that was uh, a last-minute decision by his company. Uh, so unexpectedly, I was a um, dual-household income single mother. But we make it work. He is back now. Um, I've had the opportunity to go over to Bahrain, which is somewhere I never thought I would have experienced. With at, my t- at the time, we had one child that was two. And... Um, I loved it there. Like, I loved Bahrain. We had the opportunity to live in South Korea. Again, somewhere I never really wasn't against, but it wasn't even on my radar of somewhere to go. Like, where is somewhere that you would have never expected yourself to to end up throughout the globe or or an experience you never really envisioned for yourself, but it, it unexpectedly dropped into your lap and you just took a leap of faith and went for it? I love that you say habitual leap of faith because I think that that and saying yes to those things when you want to say no because it makes you uncomfortable is what gets you there, which people are always like, how, how did that happen? How did you get there? How did you do that? And I go, I don't know. I just said yes. And I, uh, the, my favorite example, I've gotten to travel the world, but was I was a junior in college and I got asked to fly to Beijing to film with the NBA and the Red Cross. And so I was with Kobe Bryant's dad, Tracy McGrady, all the legends, traveling the country in a way that I never would have gotten to see. And it's all because inherently I responded to a Craigslist ad, which ended up becoming a huge client for me down the road and providing so many amazing opportunities. And I think that time at that point in my life and seeing that part of the world just changed me. And from then it was yes to everything, see as many places as possible, no stone goes unturned. Absolutely agree. And I don't know about your first experience over in Asia, but I was so underprepared for how shocking it was to not see a Latin-based language just in the sense of what we experience of letters. It was so sensorily overstimulating the first time I touched down in China. My first experience in Asia was Singapore. And 
to both hear a very different type of tonal language and visually not see anything that was recognizable and have everyone look substantially different, even though I had traveled to other European places in the world, was startling. Um, But I agree, it only like fed my drive to experience more and to, to put myself in situations that others might consider maybe not the smartest idea, but all turned out okay because I'm still here. And um, I think I consider myself someone that kind of has a, a good grasp of my surroundings, so I'm pretty vigilant. Um, that helps in world travel for sure. Um, but I, what, what, what was your experience like when you first touched down? I mean, you were with, it sounds like, a group of people, so that was certainly helpful. But what was it like when you first touched down in Asia and kind of that over that sensorial feel? It was a very unique experience because I, I studied Mandarin. I was like, I'm ready. I'm going to learn as much as I can, uh, embrace the culture, know about it, because I, inherently I had to make a film to kind of capture the, the, the tone and the pay respect to the culture there. And I got there and we took a private jet from one airport to the other. And then I got off and they gave me, <clears throat> excuse me, I got off and they gave me my own private translator for two weeks. And then we ended up staying at five-star hotels with the NBA. And then we were meeting with the government of China and having dinners in these rooms that had no belonging in. And it was just this kind of cascading, crazy thing where it's like, why why am I here? I was uh, 21 years old or something. Uh, it, it was It was incredible to see it from a different perspective. And, you know, we would show up to a shopping mall with one person, Tracy McGrady, basketball player. Basketball, they don't have a league there at the time. So we show up. There was 10, 15,000 people surrounding, trying to break in to just get a glimpse of this person. So I didn't get the first time a chance to experience the, uh, the traditional sense of going somewhere. And so after that, it was always craving just going to a new place without any expectation and falling into a city and falling in love with it. And inherently down the line, I came up with a film series called Homesick, which was just that, which was, I don't want to know anything about the place I'm going. I want to meet the people who are there. I want to have barbecues and family backyards and just have the city uncover itself. And so it was, it was, uh, it was a weird way to experience the other part of the world for the first time, but it inherently fueled how I've traveled since in the complex opposite way. Yeah, I love that. Wow, I had no idea. And that's a really special, massive, unique, massively unique way to experience Asia for the first time. I mean, I felt like a giant there, and I'm 5'5", so... I can only imagine uh, the how much a basketball player would stand out um, when over in Asia or China specifically. Now, tell me a little bit more about homesick. I'm I'm curious. This sounds really fascinating. Tell me about like the process where you went. I believe I think I saw something you did with Chicago for homesick. Correct. Yeah, so we were, my friends and I were moving from Chicago to Los Angeles. We were going for it, right? We were going to chase the dream. And this was the first time drones became readily available. And so we bought a drone, flew it all summer, had a great time, captured a film, 
and left it as a love letter to the city uh, as a thank you, as here's all the great experiences over all these years we've had. It ended up going super viral. It was on the news. We got a lot of attention. We ended up making uh, a few more. We made one in San Francisco. We made one in New Orleans with John Goodman, uh, Detroit with Eminem. And it, it, it's just one of those things where it was a yes and let's try something. Uh, creative ideas spiraled into something greater. Uh, and it was all just meant to tell a beautiful story. Uh, you know, it wasn't ever meant to be anything more than that. And inherently created immense opportunity for us after that. I think that that is so special and so beautiful that you kind of went in with no uh, agenda. You just wanted to create this love letter to Chicago that inspired other people to want to create love letters about their city. Um, I think probably throughout the country, everyone has a, a strong pull to whatever city they're from. Um, being a native Chicagoan, I know that Chicagoans have a a massive love of their city. And we it love took Chicago. me, it took me, honestly, I've been in Houston, gosh, since 2013, I believe. I spent two years in Korea in the middle of that. But I think only until this last year did I stop seriously considering myself a Chicagoan. It took over 10 years, about 10 years. Um, and I don't think that that would have ever stopped if it wasn't the travel hold that COVID placed on my family. And I really had to bear down in Houston. My husband used to joke all the time. He's like, Laura, you have two girls that were born in Houston. You live in Houston. You are a Houstonian. And I'm like, nope, mm -mm, mm -mm. when people ask me where I'm from, I'm a Chicagoan. And he just, it drove him bonkers. I think the other thing that pushed me over the edge is my daughter asked me once if she, where she was from, and I had said Houston, and she said, where are you from? And I said, Chicago. And she was really perplexed by how we could be from two different places and I, that I really identified with being a Chicagoan, and I made me stop and think, oh, okay, I guess, I guess I'm a Houstonian now. I'm a Texan. And I think the, the component of it that was different for me is Houstonians, sure, they identify with being Houstonians, but I think it's more we're Texans. Like in Chicago, we identify with being Chicagoans really strongly. And I've always lived in a city that had strong identification to their city. And Texans feel that same pride about Texas. And, you know, Texas has some massive things going on. We're about to, I don't know if you've seen that we're erecting in Hill Country, like near San Marcos area, a massive production facility um, that I'm super stoked about. A friend of mine, his name is Kevin Barr. You may have crossed paths with him actually once or twice through our mutual friend, Kristen Casey. He worked for a long time with Netflix, um, developing their their studios in um, various other parts of the world. And now he's been brought on as the CEO of this production house. And I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but I'm so excited to see something that large come to Texas. We have the space. Um, as, as the news has 
very publicly talked about. Californians are moving to Texas, and as Texans are very publicly have their opinions about, I am on the excited side of it um, because I just love seeing emerging industries, uh, not that film and production is emerging, but see it emerging in Texas and bringing kind of that new perspective. And they they launched this really great kind of YouTube ad that is some, sounds very similar to Homesick, where it talks, it has kind of massive actors that are from Texas talking about how production has moved to when um, Texas native films are coming, being made, they're having to film in Oklahoma or Louisiana or somewhere else because Texas didn't have a location for them. And so it's it's really exciting to see the industry expand beyond the coasts and kind of come to a different part of the world. I, I love that we're kind of at this inflection point now in the industry, especially being in the midst of two strikes. You know, oh, yeah. nothing lasts forever. Eventually everything will change. I think online, digital media, social media, all that stuff is pushing people. The pandemic pushed people to new places. Atlanta became booming. Texas is going to be a huge space in that. Um, you know, I, a lot of people realize that we don't have to be in Hollywood anymore. You don't have to be in Manhattan, especially as ex expensive as it is to try to do anything. I think it's really exciting to see all the new spaces that we'll create, but the people inherently in those, the Texans, like what is their perspective of the media landscape? What will they do to refresh the space? Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how how it is refreshed uh, or taken in through through the lens of Texans. I, another brand that I love, um, this is away from the production, but a wellness brand. It's um, a wellness retreat called Canyon Ranch. They do have some locations up on the West Coast, have East Coast, and um, they're bringing a massive Canyon Ranch resort to the Hill Country as well. And I don't believe they've broken ground yet, but what I love about about this company is that they are, while they're opening another massive wellness retreat, they're also really leaning into the social wellness clubs that have been sprouting up throughout Manhattan or San Fran, LA, Chicago, and bringing it to Fort Worth and Houston, whoop, whoop, sometimes in the next year or two, so that we can really merge that, that optimization that a lot of people are leaning into when it comes to wellness. I know you mentioned you had a three-hour workout before this, but I think it's become a lot more commonplace to incorporate wellness into our lives. And a lot of that, I think, has been helped through the expansion of what wellness means and a deeper understanding of what mindfulness or meditation or exercise or the metrics. I mean, both of us, we worked on the Nike Fuel Band, which, um, you know, there have been evolutions by other brands that have moved into that space. Apple Watch, Whoop is a huge one that I love that really kind of gives you great metrics about how your personal body, kind of going again to that like OTT streaming TV, how you can really personalize it. There's such an aspect these days of the personalization of expansion of ourselves that I've just leaned into. And I've found, you know, for me, I'll do breath work or meditation, but 
I don't do it the way that people traditionally think of breath work or meditation. For me, I do a cycle of a count of four in, hold for four, count of four out, hold for four, which is called box breathing. And I do it for like three minutes. And it's something really easy for me to do. Like if I'm driving, the time I usually do it is a transition between like exercise and work or work and kids or, you know, kids and husband, wife time or whatever it may be, those transition points. It really helps me take a minute, pause and become intentional with the next moment in my life so I can really show up as as engaged and thoughtful as possible to to really be there with the people I'm with in the moment. Uh, do you have any of that incorporated in your life? I did my first uh, true breathwork session two weeks ago um, in Jersey City, and it was one of the most profound experiences of my life. And I've done ayahuasca in Peru and Costa Rica, and I have... You know, I have two tattoos on my forearms that say manifest in gratitude, ask for what you want, say thanks when you get it. Uh, All those things are so incorporated into my life. But just the idea that breathing and stopping and breathing for an hour, two hours in that time was so transformative is incredible. And it just goes to show you that the tools you have and you require are all within you. And, you know, I wake up every morning. Thank you, Headspace, and these apps that got me into meditating because now I'm the guy who's like, hey, you should try meditating. And people are like, I can't do it. And I'm like, I know that's the point. That's why you try it. And it's just that building yourself into that rhythm. I never thought I could sit in a room and breathe heavily for two hours straight and is transformative. And so I'm always looking to under look under those rocks and figure out what other pieces of well-being am I not exploring what can I change? Can I stop listening to music in the morning and start listening to podcasts? And inherently now I work out more because I want to listen to the end of the story. So I'm always trying to discover, you know, how I can neurologically hack myself. Yeah, same. And you know, it's so funny that I think you have always been someone that kind of dives right in and really like digs in there to find out like, how far can I go with this and how, how much can I make this a part of myself? And I love that about you. And, and I'm that way inherently as well. I don't have the time. Um, or I get interrupted by life or kids particularly. Three- and six-year-olds don't really know boundaries. Um, even when they tell you, they understand and respect your boundaries. But I've found that like with meditation, I also – I, I have leaned heavily into podcasts in the morning. When I don't get my podcasts in the morning, I'm really grumpy. Um, I also have leaned in. I haven't tried Headspace, but Calm is a, a huge app that I love. And, you know, I don't – I've decided because I'm about progress over perfection for me because I'm a recovering perfectionist and will be for the rest of my life. It never goes away. I – the the meditation apps will say, okay, now sit in this position, put your legs this way, put your body this way, you know, maybe keep your eyes open or, or close your eyes, whatever it tells you to do. I've decided for myself what works best. And I don't really listen to them in those moments. And I know at one point I will as I go in my meditation journey, but I found it works best for me if I'm laying down, my eyes are closed and 
I'm kind of more, it helps me go into that Zen space to really focus and be there. And I hope as I continue in my meditation journey that I'm able to incorporate that physical component that that I know adds to the meditation. Um, But I think what I love about wellness these days is that we can all start from wherever we're at in life. You know, it 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 was it took me probably 12, 15 years of really being told I should meditate and that it would be really beneficial for me to actually start to incorporate it into my life because I thought I had to do it the way it was supposed to be done. And I also realized that with the girls, I will set boundaries and I actually hide in my closet. I, I have a... <laughs> <laughs> small to medium-sized walk-in closet, and that's where I do my breath work and my meditation because so I, that's like the most hidden place I can be from my girls, and uh, it's also very organized, so it brings me peace. And you have to have your space. Places, yeah, there's not many places in my house that aren't decluttered by children's things, unless it's like. 8 p.m. and I've just totally cleaned the house, which I do every night, reset it, and it is my hour of happy time because I go to bed at 9. But I hide in the closet and I I do my work. Sometimes the girls find me, and at first I used to get really mad because I was being interrupted. And now I've just allowed – I had an amazing life coach, executive coach work with me to really, in those moments that – you get interrupted by your kids or interrupted by someone else or in the house it's really loud and you're you're just overstimulated. She kind of helped me reframe the way I think about it and think about how lucky I am that my life is so full that this noise is there and this laughter is there and how lucky I am that I have people that love me so much that they literally can't stay away from me for three minutes. And I, 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 it's all about like that tweak in the mindset that I am not perfect about. I work on it. Mel Robbins, who's amazing in the space that she works in, she has this kind of five-second rule where you count backwards from five to kind of bring your emotions down, bring that intensity down so that you can be um, kind of communicating or presenting yourself in a, in a place that's uh, more centered. Do you incorporate that in your life at all? I mean, Mel Robbins, yeah, I've listened to her books, speeches, all those things. I think that like to your teacher, that's a great sign of a good teacher because what's so great about how ubiquitous mental health and well-being and all that is becoming – uh, right now, I think we're coming through a huge shift in consciousness. People are opening up to it not being so foreign of a concept anymore. I, I think it's open. It's understanding that you don't have to sit there with your eyes closed. You don't have to say, um, you don't have to do these things. But it it's accommodating to whoever you are, whatever your style is. And for me, yeah, I, you know... I've got a temper for sure, but you can't have that, especially when I'm on set or there's a thousand stressors coming at you at a time. I think being able to see the train coming at you and being able to slow it down, whether it's just those five seconds or gradually over time slowing down. I feel like a lot of times I could see in slow motion or hear in slow motion because it allows you the time to respond to things. You could take your time with them and meditation has been 
honestly, one I say meditation and Second City are the two greatest discoveries of my life. Yeah, you know I love Second City, and you know <laughs> early on in my life I I learned the importance of saying and instead of but, and and it's something that I really work on teaching my girls as well as my husband. Um, but <laughs> I I think that there's such an importance of adding to people's lives, adding to a brand, allowing people to add to you um, might be the, the most important thing. How do you think both the, the mindset, the, the meditation, and then um, looking through the lens of having um, started out early on in your career, uh, kind of on the agency side, spending a long period of time behind the lens and, and more working with, I don't want to say on the brand side, but a little bit on the brand side, and then now switching back to the agency side. How do you think that's changed your process in working with brands, with clients, and kind of helping you effectively communicate their message? And then um, secondary question, which I can remind you of, is like, like when working with brands, what do you see as like the your ideal like metrics or measurements of success of a commercial? Or are you finding that a lot of brands are requesting from you all? I think to so the first point, you'll probably need to remind me of the second question. I will, but yeah. What's what was in the onset of my career was so exciting was getting the opportunity to work with celebrities or do the big shiny things. And I think it's either due to my old age or these practices that it's become more interesting to curate other people's voices and um, let them become the storytellers and the drivers and hear what their experiences are. Because I think you can't tell the best story to the world that, that hasn't already been told before. You know, I think it's about discovering where those stories are and just giving them a voice. And so when we get to work with creative brands or we get to work with, you know, like Nike, they always said, if you're, if you have a body, you're an athlete. And I always thought that was so amazing because yeah, they do the little bronze spots, but they also give like the little guy in Tennessee a shot to be the star because like at the end of the day, that person is the consumer. And so I think being able to authentically heroize these people, share their stories. I think that's the most compelling storytelling. And I think that's what inherently is going to resonate the most with the consumer. Wow. Honestly, every time I hear you talk, I just get chills. I um, I love hearing you speak about elevating the everyday person, all of us, and, and really finding those stories because all of us have a story inside of us. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of finding what that story is. And we all have something that connects with someone else. Like we all are going through something that someone else is going through. They're going through it in a different way because their experiences are different, but they're going through it. There's someone out there going through something similar. And I know that's brought me tons of comfort as I navigate through our my messy life, which I love, but it's messy. So uh, the kind of the other component of that question is like, what do you find that, have you found a shift from when you originally were on the agency side years ago to now in what brands are looking for when they consider a commercial successful? Um, I think a lot of the metrics stay the same. 
you know, on paper, I think it's what were the impressions, what are the CPM, what are all those numbers that we evaluate things by. But I think more and more people are tending to say, how is this message resonating? You know, I think there was a shift over the course of social media where people said, we want to see more authenticity, but nobody was really being more authentic. And I think now with so many voices online that are amplified through followers and things like that, you're seeing uh, more of an importance go towards how is that impacting people? What are they, is the brand representing their beliefs, I think is a, a really important thing that's coming up. And so now when we're talking to brands, it's like, what do you value? What are your values? What do you believe in? Because as we look to Gen Z, Alpha, you know, more and more younger generations are, they're less inclined to have a Tom Cruise sling a product. It's more about what do you stand for? Can you stand by my beliefs? Are you working with the charity I believe in? And I think that's always been one of my favorite things in working with brands is when they're willing to give back and use their voice for good. Um, use that megaphone to turn towards the little guy and say, here's your shot. Yeah, I... I I'm currently raising a, a Gen Z and a Gen Alpha. I, <laughs> I, uh, they're young still, but I would absolutely, or I guess I'm technically raising a Zoomer and an Alpha. I have that small subset um, that I've got. But yeah, you definitely see it since Gen Z can really vocalize it a lot more. See that that is where the importance is lie. lie. That is where the importance is lying. And it is phenomenal to watch brands really realize that. And, and you know, metrics are never going to go away. But what they're going to see is that those um, lifetime customers, which is what all brands are really striving for in the long run, is motivated and inspired through really connecting in an intimate level and amplifying their values and and you know they may lose some consumers um, by amplifying their values, but they're going to bring a deeper connection with the consumers they do have. And I I agree with you. I think that that's what's happened over the evolution of social media has really brought this moved away from voyeuristic kind of and into connecting and resources and and it's just been life-changing for me. I know through some of the messy times that I've gone through, it's been the platforms. I've been able to find people going through similar messy things when my in-person friends are not experiencing those same things. And it's been able to give me the tools to really feel like I'm not alone and also learn from someone that's further along in that journey than I am so that I can show up in the best possible way I can. And then tying back to brands and and kind of how they're able to connect with the consumer and place their ads in an inspiring kind of targeted way and drop it into my lap. I love, I know people find it creepy, but I love that like when I talk about or search or start to venture into uh, a, a different avenue of wellness or intrigue in my digital landscape that I'm presented with additional brands, content, thought around that subject because it's how I find and learn and expand and 
and go one step further. You know, I, I, I started looking at, you know, with the Nike Fuel Band, then Fitbit, then I think someone brought to my attention um, Whoop. And then after that, I started getting other wearables, tech wearables that really gave me insight as to how my body was functioning personally. And I am so thankful that I was able to do that because it just helps me on this entire journey of life. Uh, in specifically the way it helped me is I was a very rundown mom. You know, COVID lockdown crushed me. And having been um, that rundown mom, being given these optimization tools for health really helped me figure out what works best for my body, whether it be like levels and nutrients to see my glucose monitoring and see what foods are working best for my body versus guessing. I love that that brands can take that guesswork out of it for you and really help you become the best version of yourself. Do you have any that you've kind of leaned into? I was going to say those are some of my favorite brands to work with. I mean, I'm a huge Apple Watch user myself, but it's when a brand is willing to create a product or at least uh, share a message that says, these shoes aren't going to make you jump higher, right? That was back in the 80s and the 90s, but this product will enable a better you through you. Uh, I think those are the great brands that really break through. You know, I think that's where Apple really broke through is they said, this is a computer, you're the artist. And they highlighted the artist and the artistry that comes through it. Um, I think that was a great thing we did on the fuel band was we did shoes that attempted to measure your vertical. It wasn't about making you jump higher, but it was about pushing yourself to jump higher. Um, Back to Sharpie, it's a marker, but it's enabling you to create and we want to share the things that you create. So I think the brands that are able to capture that message and say, it's not us. We're not doing it. You're the one doing it. We want to celebrate you and we want to enable you to do the thing you do the best. Those are the ones that really break through. And those are the brands I believe in and trust. You, know, you speak about integrating wellness into your life. And so I try to integrate the brands that resonate with me that are doing things intentionally and purposefully. Those are the products I like to use. Uh, And those are the stories I choose to direct and share and develop because I think that cuts through all the noise. You know, when you get to be messy, we're all messy. You know, sometimes I'm sad, be sad. You know, you don't have to have a pristine brand and still be respected. You can be vulnerable. I I love that. And I, I think that's a perfect place for us to wrap up. I have enjoyed this conversation so much, Rick. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me and kind of have a introspective, windy uh, journey of conversation. And I am so excited to see this, this stage that you're currently in and where your professional and personal life kind of leans in and you take those next leap of faiths. Let everyone know where they can find you. I'll add the details in the show notes and if they want to kind of follow along in your journey as well. I'm a director, so hopefully you can't find me. I like to remain behind the scenes, but my name is Rick Wayne. And if you've enjoyed this Cultivating Wellness podcast, please like and subscribe. Yes, thank you so much, Rick. Everybody, this has been a captivating session of Cultivating Wellness Media. We look forward to talking to you next week. I'm sending you a virtual hug because you've just reached the end of another incredible episode of Cultivating Wellness Media. Time sure flies when you're diving into inspiring content, doesn't it? If you're hungry for more or eager to share your own wellness journey, I invite you to reach out to me on Instagram. 
Don't forget to visit the show notes for all the necessary contact details. Keep cultivating your well-being and spreading that positive energy until we meet again. Thank you for joining me on this trailblazing adventure.